we are looking at the final victory and the last judgment. Uh, that's right from Revelation chapter 19 to verse chapter 20, verse 15. We finished uh, Revelation chapter 19. So we'll start the Revelation chapter 20. We'll start it with a question. What do you think is the most debated chapter in the book of Revelation? What comes to your mind? What do you think? What is the issue that's most debated? Chapter 20 is the uh, most debated uh, chapter in the book of Revelation. Uh, you know, sometimes we think it is triple six, tribulation and all those things, but uh, chapter 20 is the most uh, debated chapter. And uh, can anyone make a guess as to why? Why chapter 20 is the most debated chapter in the book of Revelation? I can't hear you. Oh, of uh, suffering, Pastor. Suffering, you said? Pastor, thousand years reign. Thousand year reign, yes, it's correct. It's That's the reason. Um, thousand year, this kingdom, and this thousand year reign is the most debated chapter, and um, as we go through, we will find it, yes, it is truly here. We'll not be able to say this is what this context means. It is a challenge. It's a challenge for all of us. Uh, so we'll just see that. What does this thousand year reign means, mean? Uh, we'll go to the first three verses, then we'll see that. And I saw... Revelation 21 to 3, and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, or bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him, to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years for were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. You know, this thousand year, basically uh, what you find in the biblical uh, commentaries will be millennium. Uh, millennium is basically a Latin word meaning 1000. Uh, milli is thousand, annum is year, so 1,000 years, millennium, and that's what uh, we get to hear so many interpretations for this 1,000 years, but this verse clearly says the 1,000-year reign of Christ, because he sees the dragon that the ancient serpent was the devil or Satan and bound him for a 1,000 years. Now, many, uh, if you read many Jewish texts, 
they always they visualized something like an intermediate kingdom between the present and the future uh, eternal reign that's how they visualized and they always felt some kind of an intermediate reign will be there but no one knows whether this is literal or figurative in revelation because there are so many figures in revelation we have always treated it as uh, uh, figurative not literal when we saw 144000 we actually we don't count it as 144000 jagova witness they they strictly believe in that literal interpretation so we really don't know whether it is literal or figurative <clears throat> as a result of which uh, over the period of time people have been debating what does this mean Uh, so there are different views that have come uh, but all these views can be classified under three broad categories and then we'll try to see what they say the first one is post millennium or post millennialist millennialists those who believe in post millennium they <clears throat> what they believe is christ will come after the millennium has taken place after this 1000 years uh, after this 1000 years of peace then christ will return uh, that is what the post millennialists will say uh, the kingdom is god uh, is now being extended in the world uh, through the preaching of the gospel and the saving work of the holy spirit uh, Christ is already reigning uh, in and through his obedient church and will bring to the world a thousand years of peace and righteousness prior to his return before he returns there'll be 1000 years of peace and righteousness and then Christ will return <clears throat> uh this is what the post millennialists they believe and in fact they believe that christians in fact they help establish the thousand year reign on earth prior to jesus return <clears throat> that is their belief uh, if you are a post millennialist you will come under this category but uh, of late uh, no one subscribes to this view that's the post millennium uh, very rarely people don't subscribe to this view that there'll be a thousand years of peace uh, peace and righteousness and then christ will return <clears throat> uh, it doesn't hold much currency in the present day context or uh, in the books if you read now this is one view post millennium <clears throat> the next view is pre millennium pre millennium is christ will come before the millennium begins Christ will come and then the 1000 years of peace and righteousness will follow then again Christ will come uh, that's the kind of um, view the premillennial uh, premillennialist they hold <clears throat> what they say is things will become worse despite all our efforts to preach the gospel to practice gospel and to go out and to evangelize things will become worse uh, 
day by day, it will become worse. And they say that all of a sudden, there'll be a catastrophic event. Christ will just come. And when he comes, there'll be a thousand years of peace and righteousness. Uh, if they will say that Jesus will return to establish a specific thousand year kingdom. That's what the premillennialists, uh, they believe. Uh, and the third category, I said there are three broad categories, post-millennium, pre-millennium, a millennium. A millennium, they say that, you know, like all other numerals in the book of Revelation, this is also symbolic. Uh, <clears throat> they basically say that this is going to be a long period. It's not going to be a thousand period. Uh, it's Christ has already inaugurated. We are in the amillennium period and it's going to be a long period. And they hold on to this. Right now, we are in the amillennium. Uh, but it's difficult to say that we are living in a period of peace and righteousness. It's difficult. Now, for all this, you have great people who follow this. If you are going to uh, talk about premillennialist, I think Luther was, Martin Luther was one who, who termed uh, Pope as an antichrist. And that was his view. If you see amillennialist, maybe Jonathan Edwards, Calvin and all, they hold on to this view. Now, there are problems with all the views. Uh, now, for the amillennialist, basically they say that uh, <clears throat> they go to Luke chapter 10, 18. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So what they say is, Satan's power is limited by the preaching of the gospel. That's what they say. Uh, it's, very, it's very difficult to say that evil is being reigned in, it's, or even to say it is under control. Rather, every day uh, what we hear is evil is spreading. It's becoming more and more um, violent. Um, so we don't see that kind of peace and righteousness, but they can quote uh, many New Testament verses in support of our millennium. Uh, the last days began with Jesus. When we read Hebrews 1 and 2, they, you know, Jesus spoke through prophets at various times in various places. Now, the final revelation has come through Jesus. So it has already begun. That's how they'll quote these verses. Uh, they also, they say the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Uh, they quote all these references in support of our millennium to say that we are, we are in the age of our millennium. Uh, and they take, you know, when Jesus spoke about the parable of weeds among the wheat, uh, they, they take that uh, parable and they say, uh, the good and evil will develop side by side until the harvest. And when the day of harvest comes, evil will come to an end. So all these three views have different proponents, different people, they support uh, these views. Uh, now, 
if you ask me i really i don't know which one is which one to support uh, i will, in fact i i'm studying it i i always tend to uh, adopt a view that it's better to be agnostic in the sense it's better not to know i know one thing jesus will come and then evil will come to an end uh, whether it is going to be a post millennium pre millennium post millennium of course it's ruled out whether it's going to be a pre millennium a millennium uh, i am not uh, i don't apply my mind so much but since i'm teaching i'm telling you so all these views have various problems we cannot say this is the right view and this is the wrong view as i said post millennium has been ruled out that's not a possibility uh and no one it has there's not much of substance in the post millennium uh, of course there are views supporting pre millennium and a millennium and uh, in in support of both the views we can quote scripture passages and even to the church history we can go about people who have supported these views uh but all this have some problem or the other so we can we cannot clearly say when we come to revelation chapter 21 to 3 it represents premillennium or amillennium it's very difficult to say but one thing we can say is christ will return as he had promised christ will return as he had promised he said i'm going to uh, prepare a house for you and i'll come back to take you so christ will return the return of christ is um, there's no doubt about it so whether it is going to be a premillennium or millennium i don't know uh, but when christ returns the forces of evil will be destroyed and god's eternal kingdom will be established in fact in the new testament we always teach that kingdom of god has already come and not yet come that's the kind of our uh, theology we preach that kingdom of god has come but it has not yet fully come uh you know in Re- the in john 14 3 jesus said i if and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where i am the coming of christ uh there's no doubt about that and that is the good news we have christ will come and one day when he comes evil will be destroyed and it will be very difficult from the book of revelation to tell how this is going to take place uh the details i don't think we'll be able to tell that but what revelation 20 follows us uh john as i as i keep telling you that he is so well versed with old testament so probably he he has ezekiel chapter 37 in his mind talking about israel's resurrection and he has the war with gog and magog because when we come to chapter 20 we will come across these two words gog and magog which we find in ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 and from if you read ezekiel chapters 42 to 48 it is about the new jerusalem temple <clears throat> but what is missing in ezekiel 37 is an explicit millennium there is no reference to 1000 years this millennium is only in this place again i said millennium is a latin word which means 1000 years 
and this is only in the book of Revelation, <clears throat> and it is not there in Ezekiel 37. And when Ezekiel is talking about <clears throat> a new Jerusalem temple, when we come to Revelation chapter 21 and 22, there's no physical temple. Whereas Ezekiel 37, uh, Ezekiel 40 to 48 will talk about a physical temple. So these are the problems we have because of these problems, we cannot say with certainty, this is what it means. It's very difficult. Rather, it was very easy to interpret triple six, but it is very difficult to interpret this 1000 years. But just keep in mind, there are three different broad categories of school, three schools of thought, post-millennium, pre-millennium, and amillennium. So all these thoughts have this, the post-millennium has been ruled out. Pre-millennium and amillennium, they have their plus points, they have their minus points. So it will be very difficult to say this is right or that's wrong. Uh, we have to just read and go with these thoughts. <clears throat> now, uh, I'm taking you back to chapter 19, because when we came to chapter 19, verse 20 to 21, but the beast was captured and with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Okay, now the beast and the false prophet, they were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So the question is who is left after the destruction of the beast and the false prophet? The dragon is left. The dragon is left. So that's chapter 20. Uh, in 19, the beast and the false prophet, they were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Uh, now the dragon is left and John is talking about the dragon. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon that ancient serpent was the devil or Satan and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Now, interestingly, John is calling this dragon. He has got four different names for one person. It's interesting. He says, dragon, ancient serpent, devil, Satan. He is the ultimate enemy and he calls the ultimate enemy by four different names, the dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, Satan. So John is concerned about, that's why the chapter 20 is the climax because now we are talking about the uh, destruction of this ultimate enemy, the dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, and Satan. Uh, so John uh, now 
turns his entire attention to the ultimate enemy who deceived the nations. Uh, <laughs> that is his focus. <clears throat> and he has given the four sinister names, dragon, ancient serpent, devil, and Satan. <clears throat> now, John sees an angel. I saw an angel uh, coming, an angel coming down out of heaven. He descended from heaven. Imagine an angel uh, is holding a key to the abyss in one hand. He has key and in his other hand, he has a great chain. Angel is holding that. And he's going to throw this uh, devil, uh, he's going to throw him to the abyss, that is the bottomless pit, and he's going to lock and seal that abyss. And this kind of explanations are very common in Jewish literature, a good angel, um, you know, the, the bad angels are bound by good angels. So these stories are very common in the Jewish literature. So now the angel is coming and all he will throw you, he threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him. Now God delegates this authority to an angel. God gives the key to the abyss. God gives the key to, to the abyss to the angel. So God delegates the authority. And once Satan is bound in the abyss, uh, the angel will seal it. Not only lock, seal it so that there is no chance for escape. These are all Old Testament language because you see in Daniel 6.17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. So in other words, it is not just that locked seal means it is 100% sure that this devil cannot escape from the abyss. That's the language that we use we see here. So Satan cannot act uh, during that 1000 years. Now that's where we have problem with this interpretations, as I said, um, pre-millennium and our millennium. Uh, the kind of things we see in this world, the way the Christians are being persecuted, martyred. And we say that Satan is bound right now. It's very difficult for us to say. Uh, the way we see things around us, whether right now Satan is there, because our millennium holds the view that uh, this is the thousand year reign, Christ has come, he will come again, and when he comes, then that will be the end of evil. That's, that's the kind of interpretation our millennialists will say. Uh, but if right now, if Satan is in abyss, uh, the kind of violence, murder, hatred that we see in this world uh, does not lead us to believe that Satan is truly in abyss today. It's, it's very difficult. Uh, <clears throat> then we go to the next verse. That's fourth verse. 
I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. It's only it's talking about people who have been martyred for the faith. Uh, that's why it says, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. It is not talking about a general um, resurrection. No, it's not talking about that. It's basically talking about the martyrs. We have seen this in the earlier chapters, how the souls are crying for vindication those who have been martyred. So it's basically, it's talking about the souls of those who had been martyred. So here, basically they have been martyred for two reasons. They died, one because of their testimony about Jesus and the next because of the word of God. So people are killed because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. And that's what's happening right now in the world. People are being martyred and it's happening down to the history. Uh, people have been killed just because uh, they preached the gospel. They spoke the word of God. They have been killed. Uh, but it says that in fact, John, by writing all this, he says he's, in, he's writing to those seven churches who are undergoing persecution. In fact, John is encouraging them to pursue with their uh, life of faith, to remain faithful till the end. Because even if you have to lay down your life, remember, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. So he says, these people had a special place in the kingdom of God. So he's encouraging people who are undergoing persecution not to give up, not to give up uh, because if you die for your faith, you have a special place. And he clearly says they had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. We have seen earlier how if you don't have this mark, uh, they'll be killed. That's what we have seen because in Revelation 13, 15, we saw that the second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. This is what has been promised for people who follow and who preach the gospel of Christ. And beheading was the primary method of execution the Romans followed. Uh, if you read the history book, it is, it's terrible, it's horrible, uh, because what they say is uh, they will, first they'll, uh, th these people will be bound to a post and they'll be stripped naked and they'll be whipped and they would be forced to kneel and then they'll be beheaded. That's the kind of torture and that's the way the 
people were killed. Um, so John is, John is aware about what's happening to the believers and is encouraging them, don't give up, don't give up. Uh, that's the message we see there. So we go to the next two verses, Revelation 25 to 6. The rest of the dead did not come to life. As I told you earlier, it is the martyrs who come to life first. It is not about a general resurrection. Uh, so the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection, blessed and holy or those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. You know, what's happening in the present world? The present world is persecuting the saints. They are passing judgment against the saints. What John is telling here is the present world executes judgment against the saints, but it is the saints who will rule the future world. Today, you are passing judgment against God's people and you are even, you are, you are so bold to put them to death, but remember, they will rule the future world and they'll reign for ever and ever. Uh, that's the reason we saw in the earlier chapter, the souls of the martyrs are crying for vindication. And now the time of vindication has come. Finally, they've been waiting for this time. And now the time of vindication has come. So John is carefully distinguishing between two categories of people. One is people who gave their lives for their testimony. Testimony about the life of Jesus because they spoke about Jesus and they preached the gospel. And the other is uh, the general death, the general resurrection. There are so many believers who were not martyred, they died. Uh, so he is distinguishing between the resurrection of these two categories of uh, people. Uh, so the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So John is talking about that people who are martyred, they will come to life first, and then there'll be the general resurrection. And now we find the <clears throat> beatitude, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. So what is the order of this beatitude? We said there are seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Fifth. This Yes, right. This is the fifth of the seven uh, in Revelation. This is the fifth beatitude that we find in the book of Revelation. What is he saying? What does he say? Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. So the so he's he's pronouncing a blessing on those who participate in the first resurrection. These martyrs, what's happening to them is the first resurrection. So John is pronouncing a blessing on those who share in the first resurrection. And what are the components of blessing? He says, the second death has no power over them. The second death 
has no power over them. And then he goes on to say, they will be priests of God and of Christ. That will be their role in eternity. They will be priests of God and of Christ. What a great privilege to be priest of God and of Christ. And he also says they will reign with him for a thousand years. This is the blessing of the, this is the fifth beatitude and this is the blessing that, that those who have been martyred, uh, the second death will have no power over them. They will be priests of God and of Christ. They will reign with Christ for a thousand years. So John basically is telling that, is telling the people, just be patient, endure your persecution because your persecution will last only for a short time, but the blessings you get will be for eternity. So when you see the kind of blessings that is in store for you, the persecution that you undergo is nothing. This period will just come to an end. That's the way he's encouraging the seven churches who are facing persecution. So basically he's telling patient endurance. That's what is required. Because if you compare what is kept in store for you in eternity, this persecution is only for a brief, brief time and it will soon pass away. Now we come to the judgment of Satan. Uh, that's what we saw in uh, Revelation uh, 4. Uh, now we are coming to the judgment of Satan. Uh, that's in 27 to 8. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. We saw in verses 1 to 3, we saw that, and I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key of abyss, uh, and holding in his hand a great chain, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He has been bound for thousand years. That's what we saw from verses 21 to 6. But when we come to verse 7, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they're like the sand on the seashore. Now, what is the mystery here? Is there a mystery here? What is the mystery? Is there any mystery in this verse? Because I read verse chapter 20, verse 1 to 3, I read. And then you read verse 27 to 8. Is there any mystery? 
In one, two, three, we saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. Is that a mystery? Or is it clear? Okay. Uh, after the thousand years are over, the Satan is released for a little while. Now, the mystery is, we just don't know why this is done. Why Satan should be released for a little while, we just don't know. And again, in 21 to 3, we saw an angel descended from heaven with a key and a chain in his hand. Now we don't know who is releasing the Satan. And we saw it is the abyss has been locked and sealed. Now we have no idea who is opening that. So that's the mystery. And we have to live with this mystery. We should not try to decode this because there's nothing in this verse which gives us any clue to say that. Why should Satan be released for a little while? And why this is done? And who is doing this? We have no idea from the text. Uh, but there are, we only come across this phrase Gog and Magog. That's why I said, John is depending on the book of Ezekiel. And we find these two words only in the book of Ezekiel, Gog and Magog. Uh, because um, he will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. You know, in, in olden days, people said there are four corners to the earth. And when the scientific you know, discovery came, well, it's not, there are no four corners. Uh, then, because earlier they said the Bible says there are four corners, so there, there has to be four corners. Four corners means all over the world. It doesn't literally mean like the corner of the house. It doesn't mean that. Now, Gog and Magog. Now, this is the reference and to gather them for battle. So basically Satan is going to use Gog and Magog as his instruments. And we find the reference to Gog and Magog uh, in Ezekiel chapter 37 and 38. It says that the prophet Ezekiel refers to Gog. Listen to this carefully. The prophet Ezekiel refers to Gog of the land of Magog. So Gog, was the king of the land of Magog. But here it says Gog and Magog, two principal powers. In Ezekiel, Magog means land, Gog means the king, but here we don't have such reference. Uh, that's why we struggle with interpretation. So, so People come with different kinds of interpretation. They say that uh, Gog and Magog, uh, they, you know, the enemy will come from the north 
and they will try to say that this is the country uh, which is mentioned in the book of Revelation. All those stories they will say, because in Ezekiel also, if you read that, the enemy will come from the north. Uh, and now also they try to interpret this particular verse also like that. Now, Gog and Magog, as I said, Gog was land in Ezekiel. Magog, uh, Gog was the king and Magog was the land. But here, Gog and Magog are parallel names. Here it is not mentioned as Gog as land, Gog as king, Magog as land. So basically it's what John says is Gog and Magog are parallel names used together of the world powers opposed to God. Any evil regime that's opposed to God can come under the category of Gog and Magog. Now, why we should not try to identify specific nations today as Gog and Magog? You don't have to read this. Why we should not try to identify specific names today as Gog and Magog? Yes, somebody was telling. Uh, I think without knowing the truth. Uh, without knowing the truth. Okay. Any other reasons? Many. Uh, I think Pastor Prem dropped off. Okay. Okay. Uh, why we should not identify a particular nation? Because people have written books. Uh, they said it's Russia. Then when Russia disintegrated, they just didn't know what to say. But this verse does not give us that kind of uh, uh, leverage to point out a particular nation. Because though it mentions Gog and Magog, it says in number, they are like the sand on the seashore. So because this verse says in number, they are like the sand on the seashore, uh, basically this means these nations are innumerable. So we will go wrong if we try to identify a particular nation. Uh, that's why we should not try to do that, though people try to like to write stories and books, uh, you know, Revelation has been decoded and all that. Uh, they're totally wrong. If you read the uh, text, in number, they are like the sand on the seashore. And so none of us will be able to say that this is the nation. It's innumerable. Uh, one thing we can say that of late, the more and more nations will turn against God. That's the way that has been uh, depicted here. So we go to the next verse. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. We, we can keep sitting and pondering, why did God allow this Satan to come out of abyss? Why should he allow and we don't know. 
we, as I said, we don't know who opened the, the door to Abyss. We don't know. And the moment they come out, this is their work. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. So basically it should mean Jerusalem because the city he loves, uh, that's the beloved city. If that's the, if this, if it's a literal translation, it means Jerusalem. But what's nice is fire came down from heaven and devoured them. That's, that's very interesting. Uh, it just came down. The people didn't have to fight, but fire came from heaven and consumes Gog and Magog and their armies. They may be very powerful. Ultimately, they'll be destroyed by fire from heaven. Uh, so what we can learn from these verses is uh, even during this thousand years period, suppose we assume this is the thousand years, we must remain vigilant until the final victory. That's what we can learn from this text. Uh, instead of trying to say that this will happen now, that will happen now, because Revelation doesn't give us that comfort of uh, putting the events in a chronological order, not possible. So instead of trying to decode those things, the lesson that we can learn is we must be vigilant. Whether we are in the thousand years reign or whether it will come after that, it doesn't matter. But we must always remain vigilant till the coming of Christ or till we see him face to face. That's what we see here. Um, so as God's people, we have to be more vigilant in the present time. We should not be casual because we are in a war, in a warlike situation. So we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. And whenever we are surrounded, fire will come down from heaven. Whatever is to happen, it'll happen. But one thing we know, this persecution will not last forever. It's for a shorter duration. And after that, we will reign with Christ forever and ever. And that is our hope. And that's our confidence. And that's the assurance we have. Um, that, that's the judgment of Satan. And what we'll be seeing in the okay, next verses, and the devil, that's the verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Earlier he was thrown into the abyss, the bottomless pit, but now he was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. I Earlier, we have seen uh, Revelation chapter 19, the last two verses, where uh, the beast and the false prophet were thrown into the fiery burning sulfur. And now he will also be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, Satan is being captured He's, Satan is captured once more. First time he was caught, he was put inside the abyss, and then he comes out for a short while. Again, he's captured once more, and this time he's thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Uh, we can go back to Sodom, the story of Sodom, 
what's going to happen. That's the eternal damnation. And here also the beast, the devil will be thrown alongside the beast and the false prophet who, who had already been thrown. Now, now Satan's rule is completely finished. When he is thrown into the burning sulfur, that is the time the evil will come to an end. That will be the end when God's kingdom will be there forever and ever. The, the, this, this evil age will finally come to an end when Satan is thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Now, this is the account of 1,000 years that we see in uh, chapter 20 of Revelation. And as I told you, this is the only place where we come across the word millennium, that is 1,000 years. So it is extremely difficult for us to tell with certainty, this is what it means, this is how it will happen. But all we can say is, uh, the evil will come to an end only when Satan is put into the throne into the lake of burning sulfur. Till such time there is evil. And uh, as God's people, God has given us authority over Satan and sin. And we should keep fighting. We are not powerless people. We have power, but we have to be careful, vigilant, and we have to fight that war. Now, in the next five verses of chapter 20, uh, John is talking about the final judgment. Uh, that's what we see from verses 11 to 15. Uh, this is the last judgment. So in verse 11, he says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. He sees a great white throne. Any symbolism? White throne, we saw white horse. So any symbolism with the white throne? It is a great white throne because it is God's throne. That's all he wants to say. It is God's throne. And it is white because of God's eternal purity. That's how John has used this word. Then I saw a great white throne, God's throne. And God is holy. Basically, it signifies God's eternal purity. Now something happens that's astounding. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. In other words, he says that creation has no place before the creator God. That's the way he has uh, described this. Uh, that's why he says they fled from God's presence and there was no place for them because the one seated on the throne is so radiant, there was no need for sun. He was so radiant. So there was no need for the earth and sky, they all vanish like the dew in the sun. Basically, he's saying creator is so awesome. 
that's why david will say the lord most high is awesome so god is so awesome you know when you see the creator god creation will just flee from his presence so we saw the battle before this because there was a battle so that gives way to the final judgment and it's happening before the great white throne it's before god's throne uh if the jewish literature will always describe about a day like this when god will judge the evil and it's a time they say the wicked will be ashamed when they stand before the creator god they say the time for mercy and patience is over uh, that's why of late you find books that there'll be no judgment god is so loving uh, it's all nice to hear but the bible is talking about a final judgment day and then there'll be no place for the wickedness uh, and there is no place for earth and sky in other words is portraying it in a very dramatic fashion that when you stand before the white throne when you stand before god's throne uh, creation has no place that's the beauty that's the radiance uh, he's so awesome uh, because john knows that what moses said that no one can see god uh, in his glory and live because in exodus chapter 33 20 moses will say who can see your glory and who can live uh, and just the very sight of creation um, baby in this world we run after the creator things that when we run when we see the creator's face all the created things will just pale into insignificance so that's the reason we should make god as our inheritance right in this world seeking him seeking his face uh and that sh- that should be a pursuit uh seeking god's face uh it is only in the new creation his servants will get to see his face he is so glorious he is so awesome so then we go to the next verse and i saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and books were opened all these days we thought there is only one book but here it says books were opened another book was opened which is the book of life the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books you can think over this verse and if you have thought about there is only one book probably this verse says there is more than a book that's why it says books were opened so it's good to know what are these books and what's written in those books so we'll continue from 2012 uh, next week any questions you have or are you clear about premillennium or amillennium to which view you subscribe to because it's very difficult
Is it clear? Yes, yes, somebody was asking. Yes, please ask. Pastor. Yes, we, I can hear you. Yeah. Uh, dear, the, what we are talking about during that period, will the church of God leave the earth? Would have left the earth or would be leaving the earth? Now, that is where uh, we have the idea of post-millennium, pre-millennium, amillennium. So it depends on to which view you subscribe to. Uh, it, depending on the view to which you subscribe to, then we'll be able to answer. Right now, uh, most of the evangelicals will say that we are in the amillennium in the sense that this thousand year reign has already started. Uh, with the coming of Christ, it has already started. So right now church is, is here. And uh, the day of harvest, what did you, I, it just slipped out of my mind. You were saying, the, Something about the day of harvest. Yeah, it is the parable that Jesus said, the wheat and... Uh, wheat yeah, and the, the tares. Yeah, they will grow together. Oh. And on the day of harvest, yeah. the evil will be destroyed. In other words, till uh, God returns, till Jesus Christ returns, good and evil will grow side by side. So that's where the amillennialists, they say that, uh, right now, we are in the amillennium period. Uh, we are in that thousand period. Right now, there is good as well as evil, both uh, which are there side by side. And the evil will come to an end only at the second coming of Christ. Okay, if there are no questions, then we'll close the session. Uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Glorious Father, we thank you for this time, Lord, you've given us to study Revelation chapter 20 as we struggle to understand all the uh, intricate details of this chapter. One thing we know, Lord, one day you will come. And when you come, oh Lord, the evil will be destroyed once for all. And Lord, today you are with us. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And Lord, you have given us authority over the devil and sin and give us the grace to fight that war. Give us the grace to remain vigilant, oh Lord, till your second coming. Bless each and one of us, each one of us with your grace with your anointing, with your power, so that we remain faithful till the last breath of our lives. Bless each and every one, O Lord. Bless us with good health. Bless us with peace. And bless us with your presence. And we bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
unfailing love of our Heavenly Father and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit remain with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen.